This podcast was recorded on September 22nd, 2019, but today is March 14th, 2020. Happy birthday, Brian. And I'm going to preface this one a little bit differently. Let's cue the somber piano loop. I got lots of tea to respectfully spill in this intro, but if you want to go straight to two Eugene mayoral candidates chatting it up, skip to about 10 minutes in. If you checked out episode 154 with Mandy Chapel, you know that I'm more than happy to have my electoral opponents on the show. When I do, I treat them the way I would any other guest, with respect, realness, no editing anything out, and with a positive listening attitude. Mandy ultimately decided to leave the mayoral race and endorse me. Robert Patterson did those two things as well, but he kept flip-flopping and sending me a Hitler video and other random inappropriate images with zero remorse. It sucked, because at first I believed in him enough that I was going to support him and run for county commissioner instead. I even announced that decision at a DPLC meeting, and you'll hear my uncertainty about 2020 early in this episode with Robert. Our last interaction was Robert's giving me permission to upload our podcast, but in this intro, I want to run through what I promise is just a limited set of behaviors that concern me enough that I jumped back into the race. I didn't see anyone else in a strong position to challenge and push our well-intentioned mayor of Eugene to get out there, live up to the values she talks about, and communicate more with everyday folks in my generation. There are two specific moments in this episode that led me to jump back in. One, I asked Robert why he was running for mayor, and he sat there with no answer for a very awkward period of time. Two, he told me why he was running for mayor of Portland, not Eugene. This was not just a slip of the tongue, because on his Facebook, he had been talking not long before that about running for mayor of Portland in 2020. Those two communities are extremely different, and it makes me feel like he wants to be Mayor Patterson a bit more than he wants to serve a particular community of Oregonians. But I don't want this to be all conjecture. I have screenshots to show that I'm representing this all fairly and honestly. This week, the NAACP, 350 Eugene, and Beyond Toxics just canceled a candidate forum due to COVID-19, and I genuinely want Eugenians to have access to more info about the candidates in this race. I'm going to jump through parts of our messenger conversation rather quickly, so feel free to pause if you're watching it on video, but it's all chronological and I'll try to explain it all verbally. I'll describe the images shown for the disabled homies too. I see y'all. So, Robert reached out to me for the first time on September 2015. He said, Hi Thomas, I've heard a lot of good things about you, and as I'm sure you well know, we're pursuing the same part-time 25k a year job with the city of Eugene. We're either fools or geniuses. So he's lighthearted, he's got a Bayard Rustin quote on his headline, and I'm willing to chat with him. I think it's a little weird that he assumed I knew who he was, but because I, I didn't, but I gave him the benefit of the doubt. So I tried to schedule a meeting with him four days later, and I, was told, I told him that I was likely to run for the county commission. He admitted that he actually was going to try to convince me to get out of the mayoral race. We ended up recording the podcast on September 22nd. I later tell him I was still willing to work with him to build grassroots progressive momentum and plan a joint event. He wanted to plan some work sessions for his housing plan. I should note that when we tried to meet at Cowfish about that, he no-showed. We scheduled another meeting and he was almost an hour late. My concerns grew and I just don't like being stood up by friends without notice. On November 10th, he decides not to run. He says he'll do anything he can to help my campaign. I thank him sincerely. At almost 2 a.m. the next day, he takes back his statement and looks forward to debating me. Fine by me. 
This is a guy I've learned only lived in Eugene for about four years, all when Piercy was mayor, and he still got no website even though I encouraged him to get one. By this point, I have huda2020.org. I'm 30 issues deep into my Humanity EUG daily news magazine, and I've lived in Eugene for over 20 years. I'm hyped to debate anyone about what kind of new leadership my community needs. Soon enough, he's asking if I want to get an apartment with him, even though I'm running against him. I support that he wants to become housed, but I'm not interested in running my campaign with just a thin layer of drywall between me and one of the folks I'm running against. And now, the weird part. I don't hear from him for several days, maybe weeks, until he hits me up at 3 a.m. one day to ask about my U.S. citizenship. Like, what? I'm a late-night person, but I'm trying to sleep at this point. I told him, this is a strange 3 a.m. birther line of questioning, lol. What inspired it? He doesn't answer that question. I say, not gonna lie, dude, you're my friend, but you're also an opponent. Not an enemy, but an opponent still, so your questions seem out of place and odd. Happy to remain in touch, but anything you send me is liable to get commented on somehow over the course of the campaigns. I'm gonna go a little Kyle Kalinske or Anna Kasparian here with the outrage, but come on, dude! I'm giving you the immense gift of telling you I'm gonna put this stuff out if you keep doing it. Nevertheless, he persisted. Dude sends me a gif of a lion looking menacing to say I'm being catty. I told him citizenship is an odd thing to randomly question about at 3 a.m. He sends more gifs of children looking exasperated and arm wrestling each other, presumably teasing me for being offended, I guess. I'm getting pretty tired of this, and I am tired at this hour. So I said, I'm going back to rest. Be well. The dude keeps sending me gifs which are increasingly nonsensical. Party hat people, cats with human mouths, and some kind of infomercial saying, (laughs) I love to wiggle. At that point, I just want to be left alone. I say, please stop messaging me. He takes the time to send me a gif looking pouty and hurt. Then he sends me a gif of Adolf Hitler doing a Nazi salute. I know you can't see it here, but Hitler extends his arm out, holds a hula hoop, and a dolphin jumps through it. I have no idea why he thought this was appropriate to send to an opponent at this hour after randomly asking me if I'm a citizen. I tell him I don't appreciate that. He replies that he was just playing around. I really don't know this guy, but he's way overconfident about the race at this point, and honestly, after a River Road community organization meeting he was also very late to, he condescendingly put his hand on my shoulder and told one of the org members he was going to crush me. This overconfidence continues, and by December, he knows I'm running my own progressive grassroots campaign, probably for mayor of my hometown, and he still wants me to, quote, fill a key spot on his team. He also looks forward to the opportunity to earn my endorsement of him. All of this is just weird, and I gotta say, he told me on September 22nd that he wanted to live up to some advice given to him by a family member, which is... Never go negative in a campaign. Well, by mid-December, he had changed his tune by posting statuses taking shots at former Mayor Piercy and current city council candidate Tim Morris, and I commented on them to defend those people who have done a lot for this community. He said he doesn't have time for my, quote, bullshit, which is really just me keeping it real. I haven't even mentioned how this is a guy who took an unopened bag of fruit snacks that were sitting in a box in my room and started eating them in front of me while I was tearing down audio equipment. He didn't bother to ask, and when I said I would have appreciated him asking first, 
He got offended like I was being selfish. Literally my stuff just picks it up. It was very, very uh, revealing, let's say. So here's the last thing I ever sent him. It's a little harsh. My comments defending Kitty and Tim were well received and and revealed your character. Without an apology from you about the many things I've mentioned here, I will look forward to releasing the full interview as planned. He'd flip-flopped before on whether he wanted me to put it out, whether which felt like a huge waste of my time and effort to give him exposure at that point. Keeping it real, I only do these once a week right now, and I put a lot into them. I said, Robert, the video objectively shows that you're an intelligent and good-natured Portlander who had no idea why you're running for mayor of this beautiful college town. I hope you might someday see this as a word of harsh but fair advice. Try harder. I think you could be a good Mayor Patterson, but you have to earn it and show basic respect for other leaders and candidates. Be well, Tommy Hura. He says, that's fine, piss off. I know this whole thing was harsher than you've seen from me, but if Carlton College taught me anything, it's that no one will stand up for you if you don't do it yourself, and if New York taught me anything, it's that you have to be direct with some people or they won't treat you fairly. I would love to sit down with more candidates, and while I recognize that this intro might be seen as alienating by some, by the way, I was once called alienating by Mayor Venice, and I wear that as a badge of pride, because <laughs> I think there's a place for disruption in our politics, especially when the establishment controls anything. I'll shut up. I'm going off script. I just was like, this is a guy who, the, who so many well-respected members of the community have supported, and it's important that the public has a chance to see how Robert Patterson thinks he can treat a fellow candidate behind closed doors. And this upload honestly wouldn't make sense without some context either. I only ever treated him with realness, kindness, and respect when we were friends, and that's how I'll continue to treat everyone, whether you like less stupid or not. I still do like him as a person. I got love for everyone. That hasn't changed. And I think this is a generally great chat. Now, episode 162. Thanks for checking it out. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the first episode of Less Stupid with Thomas Yuda, a podcast that's uncut, uncensored, and very unbelievably happy to have you on the show. Would you like to introduce yourself? Thanks, Thomas. I'm Robert Patterson. I'm from Richmond, Virginia, but now I live in Eugene, Oregon. That's right. And But you lived here for a period of time, about four years before moving to Portland, I first, correct? I first moved here on November 1st, 2008. I remember because the night before I had been in Ashland for Halloween. Ashland throws one of the best Halloween parties this side of anywhere. Nice. What did you go as? I, You know, I didn't wear a costume. I went, oh, okay. I, I, I went as myself, yeah. All right, okay. So you came to the best party just to be really average at it. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> I'd like to easy. think, uh, you know, I, right. I, I, there was a synergistic right. effect. So one thing that's cool about our friendship is that it hasn't always been a friendship. Who knows if it always will be a friendship? We don't know. But, but we were both going to run for the same office here in Eugene, Oregon. Um, and, you know... Maybe we could talk a little more about national politics or something if you don't want to focus too much on this race that we're both very focused on, uh, which you might have mentioned earlier. But but I think it's very, very wonderful to see you out there. I'm very impressed by your thoughtfulness on housing, on the stances you've taken so far in the campaign. and Buffalo stance. Nana Cherry. <laughs> well, what do you think about this? Why are you, why are you stepping up to run for mayor?
That's the worst fucking question I've ever fucking heard. How dare you ask me that? <laughs> Seriously, well, I will end this right. Right. This is interesting. Um, you know, I was thinking about calling my podcast Long Pauses because I think there is a place for being reflective. <laughs> okay. But in that moment, I didn't know where you were going, and I still don't know where you're going with it. Um, but... The floor is open. I'll just stop talking because I think that's something podcast hosts need to do sometimes. <clears throat> I want there are there are so many ways to answer that question. And and uh, and being unprepared for it makes my mind <clears throat> makes my mind consider different ways to answer it. Uh, ultimately, the reason why I was first attracted to the to the race was because of my involvement. <clears throat> was because of my involvement as an activist with regards to uh, homeless communities, first Portland's homeless community, but uh, I've spoken in, 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 in six counties uh, to, <laughs> to, to people that, 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 that I think heard me well uh, and were in positions to do something about it, um, about the conditions that I see on the street. I think it's really uh, conscientious of you to think about homelessness and housing and maybe reframe the dialogue that is so prevalent about street communities in Eugene and in Lane County and all over. Um, because it's, it's clear that the, the current mayor is focused on this a lot, but it's, it's a, it's a, I mean, I don't know if you would agree with that, but it seems that she having been with shelter care was thought of as somebody who would be the mayor to make this um, situation better for everybody involved. Um, and I don't, I don't know where I'm going with that. It's more that, um, um how do you well, view, do you view homelessness as a problem or do you view more a problem in how people just, respond to or perceive people being on the street? Well, first of all, I think that there were some significant gains made during the last three years with regards to homelessness in Lane County and in Eugene, uh, partly because Absolutely. of Mayor Venice, but also be because of leadership at the county level in Springfield, uh, partly because of an activist community that is second to none nationwide, partly because of a, of a, of a, a, a service organization network that is second to none nationwide. Oregon has led the field in terms of in terms of providing meaningful client-centered services to to its homeless community uh, for decades, you know, outside in outside in is fifty-one years old now. That, that's that's almost as old as Eric Jackson, for God's sake. <laughs> he is uh, he is in his wiser years for sure. Um, Who's Eric Jackson for anyone who might not know? Because I only met him earlier this summer. If they, if they don't know, then they should Google his name. Uh, he's an outspoken 
activist and has been here, has been in, in Denver. Uh, and, and he's a person that I think a lot of, a lot of people on the street in Eugene uh, sort of have a lot of love for and hold, and hold in, in high esteem. He's a leader. He's certainly one of the most um, forefront people in terms of speaking out about the, the rights of people living living on the street and living throughout Eugene in unhoused situations of various kinds. Um, absolutely. Uh, but there's so much happening on the national front and that's part of what inspired me to want to run for something in 2020. Um, in terms of so many different avenues through which I've tried to be active and tried to make a change. For mm -hmm. example, interning with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon or interning with Oregon League of Conservation Voters, trying to protect the kind of shit I didn't think we would still be debating about. Mm -hmm. A woman's right to choose, a person's right to choose, you know, an abortion procedure or the fact that 415 parts per million is what we're dealing with now in the carbon uh, pollution space that didn't make a lot of sense but you get what i'm saying I'm, I'm a little outraged that we're still having some of those conversations pollution space was the name of my drum and bass duo uh <laughs> from the from 2005 uh is that for real we were the pollution space kids i was in a band called elevator defense force but we only ever met on aol instant messenger <laughs> that is yeah um we never the three of us knew each other but we never met up like and played a music together well you know um i don't know i, I was trying to think of a big tech segue <laughs> but uh yeah 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 well what do you think are some of the yeah. you know one of the frustrations with the national level of politics is that if you study history at all you you know that so many of the challenges of our democracy, of our climate, of uh, women's rights, of the rights of the marginalized, of even things like people's ability to start a small business. These are the kinds of issues that have endured for centuries or decades. And my frustration with national politics is like, we keep seeing it's really hard for any one person to get anything done significantly. Do you think one person really can make a huge di impact uh, or difference in a world now where people are so quick to to judge and label and cyberbully and mischaracterize and and for anybody who's being active on any part of the political spectrum, it seems difficult to avoid this huh. intense level of scrutiny from well, one side if you do anything. Uh, I I I guess I agree with that to a point, but really I guess that I don't. Um. <laughs> Barack Obama's election led to the passing of, uh, of Obamacare, yep. which has ensured me better than a decade and a half of waiting tables has. Right. Uh, made it possible for me to go on on medications that are necessary, given my... Anyway, I'm, I got off on a tangent there. It um, happens. It, um, it's okay. Now, now, now. And, and, and mental health is not something to be ashamed of. That's something that I <laughs> oh, feel very strongly about. That's a good one. Um, 
No, no, no. I mean, I thought that that was what you're talking about with medications was possibly a mental health situation. Oh, no, no, no. I'm talking oh, okay. about, I, I take Truvada for prep, oh, okay. which isn't necessary because I'm not, uh, why am I talking about the medicine? I, my point I is know. that Barack Obama, uh-huh. Barack Obama's election led to significant change, I think, not only for, for my insurance, but for the insurance of people nationwide. Uh, right. And do try to just talk a little more. Yeah. Like, now, because the only thing is this fan is defective, and the farther you get away, the more I have to increase the gain for the whole sound file. And okay. people are going to be like, okay. what's that fan? Um, now, now, did he do it alone? No, of course not. He led uh, he led a campaign to, to defeat... Uh, to defeat a, a worthy opponent, really multiple worthy opponents in 08. Mm. And then, and then, uh, Edwards, Clinton, uh, McCain. It was Biden was in that one. And, um, and then had to, had to sort of steer this bill through Congress and the Senate. Uh, it, like tons of work went into it, Absolutely. right? Tons of work went into getting this passed. Absolutely. Um, so can we say that, you know, the changes because of, of be of because of him because of one person. Well, I mean, Hillary maybe, Clinton he, advocated for many of the same yeah, policies. But, but, that went but into she Obamacare. didn't get it passed. He I did. know, but I'm so, saying that she did a lot of the frontier uh, trailblazing of of getting it to be a more accepted kind of policy. Then you had Mitt Romney did a lot of the same kind of um, kind of policies that are in mm-hmm. the ACA in Massachusetts as well. Yeah, the nation was primed for it. We still didn't get. Right, the, we still didn't get what we needed. Well, out I know of my it, dad but, and but, so many longtime Democrats that were just pissed for a long time that the U.S. isn't taking care of its sick. You know that's that's been the status quo, and we're trying to move farther out of that. Well, and it's still it's still the case for a large number of people. I think. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so the Medicare for all is a very interesting. Uh, point of contrast if we're talking about national politics between the people that that we're looking at as our presidential candidates as potential presidential candidates to go up against donald trump in 2020 and you have elizabeth warren and bernie sanders and andrew yang and people who are saying medicare for all um i'm not sure if yang support yang's version of that legislation does this but Warrens and Sanders completely abolishes private insurance, which is a point of difference between them and some of the other candidates like Pete Buttigieg, um, who thinks that private insurance should still be allowed to operate. And if people do find that that is a better option than the government plan that that is available to everybody, he calls it Medicare for all who want it. Um then he says that we should trust people to make that choice. What do you? I'm just curious. Not necessarily. Do you think we should ban private insurance? But you know, the Democrats having such frivolous banter, like like especially with John Delaney um, and people like Amy Klobuchar, the more centrist people, possibly dividing each other up way too much about who has a, the specifics of a healthcare plan and so few people well, are voting on just that issue you know i'm not <clears throat> i'm not qualified to get into the weeds on 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 federal health insurance i will say that it seems to me that the way we approach wellness is fundamentally flawed uh Say more about that. Well, I don't agree. 
Well, we've we've let institutions Yet. build up in these in these uh, in these systems that we expect government or 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 industry uh, or communities to provide. So so you end up with uh, these capitalist well you end up with companies with corporations uh doing the business of the people uh now i believe i believe that healthcare is a public good and and is right to be i believe that it is the proper role of government to ensure that every american has access to a certain standard of care regardless of anything and sure. and not not even not just every American, but every inhabitant, every person here say, deserves yeah, the benefit of our of our world class medical universities and hospitals, Absolutely. and we can do that in a way that that honors uh, investors for their investment, that honors doctors for their for their time and their and their risk. Right. Uh, but you asked me how to fix it on a federal scale. Jesus Christ. I, like, like a <laughs> okay, let, well, let, let's, fix it a, let's fix it on a neighborhood scale. Mm. That, that, that's where my mind's at right now. Okay. I, I, you know, um, sounds municipal. But uh, <laughs> honestly, I will take whatever the overlord gets as long as just keep the Truvada coming. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what a what an interesting state of the world where we don't have a full recognition of mental health and physical health and we we think of them as so separate from each other because although i do have some upper back issues i'm pretty physically healthy um well we think of them separate from each other because they're they're different i mean they're different they are different they are separate are they absolutely mental health and physical health if there's mean, a clear talk, separation we, between no, them we can talk we can talk about like biological and mechanical causes of of mental disorder right mm. but but mm, i think we but, have a, a real point of disagreement but, here though I mean, we can talk. I mean, that's in fact that's where. Wait, that's where, that's where psychology and psychiatry are heading. Uh, the study of behavior is becoming more and more linked with with physical mechanism. But 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 still, uh, they're they're just two separate things in, in mm. the way in the way patients present with it, in the way that patients feel about themselves when they're going through it, in the way that mm. doctors think. I mean, they're just two. They're two I, separate industries. Industries. See, yes, that's a, that's an interesting word to bring in because well, I. You know, I wasn't sure if we would agree on this or not, but I think it's pretty clear from just my observations of the world that we have an artificial distinction we look at between mental and physical health when the brain is very much a part of your body like anything else. Sure. And there are serious linkages between depression and, I mean, at least some kinds of pains and stress and back, back issues. And... You know, I'm not saying that a, a, a chiropractor should then be somebody's therapist, um, but I think that if you want to talk about like rebuilding healthcare at the neighborhood level, small level, let's look at holistically looking at what's what is what is ailing a person, mm. right? It could be a it could be a mental health issue that was in their developmental years mm -hmm. that has seriously prevented them from being able to achieve well in school and then they feel bad about their own ability and then they because we're we've had, had this reinforced model that if you don't get a's in school somehow you're not as valuable and mm -hmm. and, and my point is that this, with this distinction we have between mental and physical health very few people will see somebody who is on crutches and think that person is permanently 
messed up. Mostly, we would say that person is temporarily on crutches because they're, they're, they have a sprained ankle or they have something in their leg that, that doesn't say a whole lot about them as a person. Maybe they're a little reckless or something or, uh, I don't know, they got into an accident. But hmm. what frustrates me is that we would take a person who has generalized anxiety disorder and PTSD and, you know, could be maybe triggered by things that they're confronted with and, I don't know. You know, and then we think, well, that person's weak. Mm-hmm. We think that person is flawed. We we don't think of it as the kind of thing that can be treated accordingly as, mm-hmm. as much as I wish. Um, and I mean, as a person who's really, really focusing now on Lane County, uh, it's devastating that between 2000 and 2016... I don't know the exact number. That's why this is a podcast. Mm. I think it was at least an 80% increase in suicides in Lane County. It's an epidemic in Lane County. Of course, we know that suicides are on the rise nationally as well. So that's one of the struggles I have as somebody who's entering local politics is Mm. being unsure when to try to raise, you know, a hubbub about my local leaders not getting things done when, I mean, how can we, the best that, 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 Unfortunately, liberal and progressive people can do because I'm I'm generally liberal and progressive. Are you against suicide then? Am I against suicide? Yes. I think that suicide is seriously an indicator of uh, a society's health. So I, I I am not against people's right to in some situations like terminally ill people, um, okay. you know, to go through euthanasia. But I absolutely would tell you that I think a country with uh, a very high suicide rate compared to a country with a lower one um, needs to evaluate why that's the case. Yeah. Because no. I mean, it's generally true. People don't want to, it's a sad way to die. It's a very sad way to die. It's a sad way to lose somebody because everybody tends to think, what could I have done? Um, and I also think on, in terms of suicide, we have a lot of rhetoric about it was a cowardly act. Some people would say, I don't know. What do you think about that? Because well, you seem to have feelings about this. Well, I, I have I have feelings about liberty, and um, and and while I agree with you that suicide does seem to be an indicator of a society's ability to provide fulfilling life, uh, or at least I'm sorry to provide a community that values fulfilled life, right. Um, and and I think it's proper for government to to attend to people's health. Sure, but suicide is a very personal choice that I can't begin to understand because because I'm not suicidal. Okay, but, 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 and you've never but, been suicidal. No, I've been no, I've no. been extraordinarily well extraordinarily sounds kind of presumptuous but I was April 2017 April May 2017 especially uh very 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 certain that there was no nothing to do except except end my life or just wait do nothing like try to stay alive every day and that was a challenge um because I think uh, I've heard people say this, that when you are very suicidal, that's kind of the mentality that you should have is that 
you know what? I'm just not gonna not gonna do the action. Like often people have an ideation, right? Mm-hmm. And then you just decide I'm not gonna go through with that, or now is not the time. This is not the hour. Today's not the day I'm gonna die. And you just keep doing that until you build up enough resilience. Or, and I'm not saying I can make anyone unsuicidal, right? It it's something that I don't deal with on a day-to-day basis now i i would tell you there's still there's still times rare times when i when i have a consideration about it but even then i think you know one of the things that's also struggling with struggle that's also challenging with mental health we don't have to talk about this too much honestly um is that it looks so different to what illness is you know like like um for a person like me who has bipolar disorder so they tell me um you know me me being hypomanic could look like just me being very cheerful you know what i mean okay. but if somebody has uh i don't know why i thought syphilis was the first thing i thought or sars anything the the, the symptoms are readily identifiable uh-huh. and kind of physically there so i guess i get what you're saying there on the the mental and and physical distinction i mean and, and that's and that's been the challenge of of the study of the mind since since shit since before the 1800s you know how how do we observe the unobservable how do we you know right surveys and direct observation can only take it so far and it got us classical it, it got us sort sort of uh yeah Pavlov. Sort, sort, yeah and and there and there's good solid stuff in that uh you know to be used for for a variety of positive or nefarious ends um yeah yeah, it, it troubles me to think about suicide being clustered in groups that are already that that I believe are already marginalized. Uh, like what groups? Well, the the homeless, uh, mm. youth, the LGBTQIA community. Right. Uh, a sp- That's certainly true. Um, veterans returning from war. Uh, right. PTSD survivors, right. survivors of domestic abuse. I mean, yeah. Um, but it is fascinating, though, that it is a it is a it skews towards it's a disproportionately white uh, problem in the United States. That's fascinating. Well, the United States is well. Uh, I don't. Uh, well, race is sort of a social construction. When you say white, oh, very what do you much mean? so. What do you mean when you say white? Do you mean do you mean white and question. not of Hispanic or Latino origin? Do you mean uh, purely white? I would probably you're going to have to ask people to self-identify when you when you talk about what people's race is. So I mean, I think when I talk about white people, I'm talking about anybody who would identify themselves as white. Um, and to not identify as white, you have to have a good reason. <laughs> this is kind of I want to make this kind okay. of a po- <laughs> podcast, like a comedy podcast, right? Okay. Uh, so I'm white, but I'm also Asian, and I don't know uh-huh. what that means because sometimes I look really white, and sometimes <laughs> I look more Asian, and it often depends on who I'm with, okay, who I'm seen sure. with. When I'm with a bunch of Asian people, I blend in just generally so, so fine. So maybe we're talking about issues of ethnicity rather than issues of race. You're talking about well, issues. I mean, issues. My of, understanding of from a rel- das racist lyric, especially, is is uh, wondering if suicide is a largely white trend. Google it later and confirm that. I then. <laughs> it's uh they're funny as hell i wish they would get back together 
If you're listening out there still, just know this is also a hip-hop podcast. Hip-hop comedy news. It's interview-ish type discussions. And it's just about education, too. It's about being less stupid. I'm Robert Patterson. I started college at the University of Texas at Austin as a film major. Didn't graduate, though. Mm. Hook'em horns. (laughs) Hook'em horns. Right. Well, that's that's an excellent public university. Always ranked it in the is. top five of public universities. Great law right school there. with UNC there. Chapel Hill and University of Michigan Ann Arbor. I'll tell I, you a fun fact I've about I've coached it. way too many kids about how to get into schools, and really it's not as important as people think what school uh, you go to. Uh, Be happy and learn what you love. Oh, it's more it's more important what eating club you join. Uh, you yes. Man, I spent three summers Sorry. at Princeton. They got them eating clubs. Okay. That's real. Um, eating clubs. What? Let's see. Uh... After I dropped out of the University of Texas at Austin, I, I dropped out of Northern Virginia Community College, which is which is actually one of the largest community colleges in the nation. Fun, fun story about University of Texas at Austin, though. While I was a freshman there, I lived in Jester Center, which was, at the time, the nation's largest dormitory. Now, it is two towers connected by a, a freaking situation full of, full of people. <laughs> right. <laughs> um... And when I was a freshman there, 3,200 people lived in Jester Center, world's largest dormitory, no matter matter what they say in, what's the the capital, what's the capital of Maryland? Annapolis. Annapolis. Annapolis, indeed. Yeah. There's a large dormitory at Annapolis, but it's actually five separate towers. So okay. I, so I'm saying that that it's on a different. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's like comparing a. I love that area of the country. It is damn humid, though. This is a weather podcast now, too. Uh, that's a joke. I will never talk about the weather. If you, if I'm talking about the weather with somebody, uh, it's probably because I don't know what to say. It's earthquake uh, weather today. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to have a few more guests on the podcast too. We'll probably go for another 15 minutes or so. Um, and so whatever you want to talk about, we can talk about it, man, but I'm probably going to have, um, there are three people who've said they would do it. Uh, Ty Williams of the sunrise movement here in Eugene fighting hard to get youth organized to stop climate change and to support the green new deal. Uh, Kitty Piercy, who was the most recent mayor of Eugene, uh, who is not the current mayor and she was a three term mayor from working backwards, 2000 to 2000, sorry, 2004 to 2016, and she's a lovely human being. And uh, Representative Julie Fahey, who represents House District 14 in um, the state capitol. And she is a great fighter for pro- progressive values in writing state laws. Those are heavy hitters you've got coming up. And you're a heavy hitter if I, you're really going to win. But let me keep it real with you. This show bunt. is about I'm keeping gonna it. I'm going to bunt and this, run like hell. This, okay, dog. Let me put you on the spot. And, and you let me know if I'm getting too aggressive. But, but here's my thing is... I think you could win, but I, I'm not oh. confident that you're going to win. I, it's, it's very hard to unseat an incumbent. Join it's the team. You should join the hard. team, and I can tell you about I can tell you about my plan to win, mm-hmm. and and about and about ways that you can ways you can help out. And I would love to. Um. Yeah, man. So you said everything in due time, but like, where's you know we got Mayor Venice has a website, I have a website. Mm-hmm. Tim Morris for City Council. Ryan Moore. Uh, Hoeli Boa for South uh, Eugene County Commissioner. Uh, many of these people, you know, their their web presence is is at this stage more established than yours. 
And don't you think sure. that, do you feel like you're playing catch up? No, not at all. Okay. So tell me then, okay, let's talk about your plan. How are you going to win? Well, I'm going to put together a coalition of voters, uh, put together a great organization, and then we're going to work like hell to get everybody to the polls. Yeah. Oh. Okay. Yeah. And uh, activating young voters and, and, and young, maybe I mean, university. That's I something think, we talked about. I think, I think every politician in Eugene wants to, wants to activate uh, UO, not just UO, but LCC, Northwest Christian, go Beacons. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, For I mean, I don't know the best way and, in a town like Eugene. Honest, how do you get your message out to everybody? I mean, besides knocking on everybody's door, which mathematically I probably can't do. I probably cannot knock on every door in my district. Oh, you don't need to knock on every. You don't need to knock on every door. You need to knock on. The doors that you know are going to support you, and five percent of the others. You need to knock on. That's the conventional wisdom. I love it. What I want to do is take a little teeny tiny wrecking ball, if they exist, to the conventional wisdom. Okay. And I want to build a broader coalition. For example, Yang Gang twenty twenty for president. I love Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. I also love Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, and I think Buttigieg is brilliant, and I think Harris is brilliant in her way, and Biden's not even a bad dude, in my opinion. But I love everybody, so it's hard to... I mean, I, I really do love everybody. That's that's something that's true about me, even though I'm a tough person and I'm, I'm a direct person. I have love for everybody. So so for me, um, Yang yep. has been touting the fact that he is the only one of two candidates besides Bernie Sanders who 10% of Trump's voters say they will support. That's sad. And that's 10%, so that's double what you said in terms of you maybe roughly 5% of the people that are maybe on the other side of the political spectrum yep. that you want to try to talk to. But frankly, especially, we're both running nonpartisan races. So why have that idea about, you know, ah, I need to only get, you know, half and then, you know, maybe 5% of the other folks. I want to talk to every single person. Well, you know. That I can. I guess... You know, county government, municipal government. We want anyone to get the good work done that needs to get done. No one's thinking as much about a D or an R on a ballot because it's not on the ballot. Uh, well, I'm just gonna make sure this is still filming. Yeah, I'm going to. uh, I'm gonna play some string cheese incident real quick. No, I can't. I don't have. I don't have. I don't have an electric octave tune mandolin. Um, yeah, eight strings, I think. Eight strings. Uh, let's see. I um, that was a lot of good stuff that you just that you just said. And <laughs> well, I mean, um, we're doing a podcast, man. I, I you know, you come correct okay, when you're you going to talk okay, to me. Okay, okay. I, you know, you asked why. You asked why I want to be mayor of Portland. I, I want to be mayor of Portland because I believe that the homeless should be a protected class, and I believe that the current mayor hasn't done right by the homeless community in Eugene. Now, here's now, my concern. Now, you said, said Portland. Hang on, hang on, hang on. You said Portland, man. Wait, where just... am I running? <laughs> We're in Maine, and I'm running for... Uh, <laughs> you know, I have a lot of love for Portland. Uh, Absolutely. And I know that recently you were thinking about running for mayor of Portland. Who hasn't thought about running for the, for the mayor of Portland? I have never Portland. once it's, thought about running for that. Uh, I don't live there. Uh, well, I lived in Portland, and I thought about running for mayor there. That's fair. Uh, 
against Wheeler. Against Wheeler, for, who uh, he is, he is, uh, and and there are there's at least one other uh, uh, good candidate out there. I'm, I'm sure, I'm sure there's. Well, I I imagine that there will be many by the time the primary comes around. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm I'm a, I'm a big fan of Ted Wheeler. Good. Um, but having said that, in many ways, he hasn't done fully right by the homeless community of Portland. This mm. is the thing. No mayor has done right by any homeless community in this country. That's a big statement because there are many, many mayors. Hundreds of thousands, probably. I mean, I get what you're saying, though. It's just I'm so such a stickler with with uh, specificity of well, language. Then sometimes. find me a I mayor. Mean, find me a mayor that has done right by by their city's homeless, and and because I want to know what they've done. Okay. And we should be repeating it in every goddamn city from here to to, to the restaurant at the end of the universe. A good friend of mine had positive things to say about Providence, Rhode Island's approach. However, I have not even looked into it at all. Yeah. So I'm just relaying that, uh, that it came from a friend who who's a, who's a smart person, but I don't even agree with him politically very much. <laughs> I mean, really, I love being friends with people I disagree with. It's way more fun. <laughs> it's, I don't, I'm not a contrarian to the extent I disagree with people just to have fun arguments, but hell yeah, if there's a difference between us, you know, I want to talk about it. Let's open up about it. Um, for for a city, uh, I'm sorry, for, for a mayor to do right by its homeless. And they're only paid like 24K in Eugene. That's part-time, and they, they bust their butt. Um, for, for, for any mayor of any American city to do that, there would need to be a president that thought that homelessness should be a protected class. Well, or at least a president willing to provide a... Willing, willing to stake their, their their presidency on it. Honestly, in in Sanders just put out a two point five trillion dollar plan for housing, and he truly believes that nobody should be without a a safe place to sleep and a roof over their head. Well, and he wants to make a giant federal investment in that. Now, the the criticism against him always is, how are you going to actually get it done? Well, you know. Uh, but he, I, I would love to run a little bit. As much as I love Bernie, okay. I, I think he'd have challenges uh, dealing with the Democratic Caucus of of Congress and Senate. Um, you know, mm. he's had he's had I a mean, lifetime he, as as an independent, exactly. and, 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 I, and I love Bernie, and I, and I, I love, wish people kind of understood more what but, that means. But, that, but that's a challenge for him, I think. I have unless he's elected with the, some the sort possibility of, clear of mandate. You know, if I run for a nonpartisan artist, a lot of a lot of Congress people worried about reelection if Bernie gets elected. He's a, he's a polarizing figure to the right, and 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 I say that as a Bernie fan, right? I'm right. Just, I'm just. Talking I think about people forget about just how populist 2016 was, because we had an enormous wave of un like basically unprecedented levels of support for two outsider candidates. One of them was someone who just didn't get the nomination, and I will not tell you that Hillary Clinton didn't have support. She had a ton of support. People underestimate that, too, sometimes. They, they act like she didn't run a good campaign, and really, she did kind of sputter out and not put in the effort the last few know, months. Was, was, but is Bernie Sanders uh, a populist? That outside of 
the mainstream. He's a. If you want to win a, mayor, a, and Eugene. He's a well I truly believe you liberal, should not. I don't think you can tell people that Bernie Sanders is part of the establishment. He's a well-funded liberal senator from a northeastern state. He comes from a tradition of of mainstream, albeit left, political thought. No. <laughs> I don't agree. I don't agree. I mean, he. It was not mainstream. Uh, to, to fight for civil rights in the 60s. It just wasn't. I mean, that we look at it now... John as F. A, Kennedy and Lyndon Johnson fought for civil rights in the 60s. Not as, not as ardently. They didn't put their bodies on the line like Sanders did, you know? They LBJ did it because politically they had the to. the antebellum South. Absolutely. And, he, and, and he he's on the record the saying a bunch of racial Act slurs. Of 64, he fought for the Civil Rights Act of 64 like, like he was... Like he was a patrician in Cambridge. He showed great courage and distinction fighting for the civil rights of, of Americans. Okay. And that doesn't mean it was mainstream, though. I, I mean, my point, I think, let's well, go back it, to it, Sanders. It, it, because wasn't his, it wasn't his stance on civil rights that ended up costing him his presidency. It was, it was the military-industrial complex and the, and, the, and the weirdness of domino theory in the Cold War. Which I recently learned, the military-industrial complex, Eisenhower wanted to call it the military-industrial-congressional complex. The Congress people didn't want to be that directly associated with it, but you're goddamn right, right, they are. Is that right? It's true. I didn't know that. That's what I learned at the DPLC Central Committee meeting the other day. I did not know that. Where were you at, dog? I expect I to see. Not, I, I expect to see you at everything. Um, Are you a Democrat? Yeah, of course I am. Okay, cool. Yeah, and not to say that I would hate you if you weren't. Who is? Uh, I am really trying to talk t- to people all across. Tell the spectrum me about of this the DPLC podcast. meeting. Who's who was there? What was? Uh, fill me in on it. Give me the scoop. As a teacher in training. The most impressive thing was they had everybody in about five rows facing the long wall, and then they all had everybody turn to the left wall. So we had it turned into like fourteen rows. It was amazing. Um, what happened at the fucking meeting? <laughs> um, the typical, you know, PCP people, uh, like precinct committee people, getting uh-huh. uh, getting like my form. It took it took weeks for some reason for the I, I don't know what happened with it, but so. Uh, I think it was the first central committee meeting in quite a while. It was my first one, period. So I'm not going to give you the most articulate of synopses about something that was my first experience because it's a little bit, it's a little bit hard to to get up to speed in a, on those kinds of formal Roberts rules like events. I think that's one of the reasons young people don't pay attention to politics as much. Nobody can turn on C-SPAN and understand exactly. I mean, it it's it doesn't appeal. Uh, and it's and it's lot, not as accessible mm-hmm. as I'd like politics to be. I remember when I, I was, want politics to be accessible. When I was in high school, we uh, government students uh, did sort of a group project every spring called Mock Congress, where we uh, we would pick. I think I was I think I was a junior senator from Texas. We would pick different. You know, we would form we would form caucuses. And we would try to get bills passed right. through our, through our mock through our mock Congress, and that was a great looking back on it now that was a really great experience that i hope is still being done <laughs> mock congress well i miss giannini <laughs> that's cute yeah civics is something my dad really miss wants Ivy? us to have in all schools <laughs> you just gave miss ivy a weird miss look. ivy miss, miss ivy okay. taught no miss, 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 uh, miss ivy taught ap AP British history, which I did not take, but she was the coach of our Battle of the Brains team, which is like a, a four-person quiz bowl style uh, um, 
on word, air word. on PBS broadcasting show. Anyway, well, that's cool. Miss Ivy, Miss Giannini. Okay. Well, anyway, so you got great teachers. I had great teachers. Otherwise, I never would have considered being a teacher, mm. um, especially because the entirety of the time that I was growing up and I don't know, a thinking person like age 10 and up at least, we faced immense budget shortcomings in mm-hmm. 4J, Eugene School District 4J in the state of Oregon at large. I'm sure it's actually probably worse in a lot of rural school districts. Um, And so you had this dissonance of being like, oh, a teacher, like Miss Downey, Mr. Ball, Miss Skurlock, Miss Tommen, Mr. Frankel. I had a lot of great educators. And you end up feeling like, wow, they're cool people. They're, uh, they, they are esteemed in society. They're important. They give me my grades. They, def- they confer knowledge onto us at large in groups. It's amazing what they do. But then you discover, and everybody knows, teachers are not paid well. Mm-hmm. Especially if you think about by the hour. I think as a teacher, you have to just completely get rid of the idea of like thinking about how much you're making by the hour. Because if you're a good teacher, there's hardly an hour that goes by in your life during the school year where you're not thinking about the kids. You're not thinking about your students. You know? Unless it's like the syllabus week, you know? But but even then, you're probably overwhelmed. And so, and so if you think, <laughs> I mean, and I don't sleep a whole lot. Mm-hmm. So, 18 hours a day, eep. And then if you think about weekends, it's like... You have to just totally reframe it and think, okay, we're going to fix the state budgeting issues. We're going to make teaching a more esteemed thing in society. Why the hell do you think I named the podcast Less Stupid? Some people are going to think it's combative and aggressive. I don't give a shit. Less stupid is a virtue. I get that it's negative and not positive, but I'm not going to make a podcast called Be More Smart. That's presumptuous. That's silly. Yeah. Yeah, uh, <laughs> but less stupid. And I want to ask everybody. Oh wow, it's we're at forty five minutes, so I really don't want to go more than an hour. Um, well, we're close to forty five minutes anyway. Okay. And and so, what's a way mm-hmm. that you think people could be less stupid? Um, neonatal vitamins. I'm sorry, prenatal vitamins, and then neonatal vitamins. Okay, and yeah. plenty of hydration. And extras so to see string people. cheese incident at the Cuthbert Amphitheater. <laughs> that also Are they paying you for this? No, no, I need to get in. I got waiting for a miracle. You are, you yeah. are. Okay, right on. Cool, dude. Hmm. I feel like we should end with a bang of some sort. Well, okay, let's, let's get it on. And the bang is. Here's a personal story. I. <laughs> As a person who is anxious a lot of the time and maybe just as a person who loves questions and answering questions and yep. searching for knowledge, when I'm asked a question and I don't get the chance to fully finish my answer, somehow it like lingers in my head. Oh. I need to get over it's it, you know? I, I interrupt. That's, that's, oh, no, no, no. It's I'm a, a very podcast. aggressive. It's a, it's we a... interrupt each other. It's okay. I, I, that's yep. what I would say in this space, you know? So we, we, LBJ, we have community guidelines around the space. And okay. so resolutions. We passed a bunch of resolutions at the DPLC meeting. What, what meeting. was resolved? Mm-hmm. There's one about relating to increasing participation in the Democratic primary uh, process. Uh, collective bargaining between SEIU Local 49 and McKenzie Willamette yeah. Medical Center. Okay. One relating to the UFCW Local 555 collective bargaining dispute against Fred Meyer so, and Kroger Company stores. So, so the, re- the resolutions were, were in support of the, of the, of the service employees... Absolutely. Uh, 
and you can look at it right here. But it's probably any, not the most entertaining oh, thing no, to do was, on a podcast. Was there any controversy? Was there any? Was there any? Uh, was there any fun? Was there any gossip? Was there, there was any? there was a number of committee elections. So okay. okay, let me break it down for anybody who doesn't really know what it's like to be part of a local uh, major political party. But Democratic Party of Lane County is a group with a solid community of support, but they also have to send people to Democratic Party of Oregon committee meetings and the um, co- the co- Democratic Party Congressional District 4 in Oregon has a committee. Mm-hmm. So we elected people to go sit on those committees, okay. essentially. Um, so it was a good meeting, and there was a, there was uh, there were two elected officials there. A third one came in. Um, Who was yeah, there? Julie Fragola. Sorry, Lisa Fragola, Julie Fahey, and so Fragola is on the Lane Lane Community College Board of Education. Oh, okay. Is that right? Is that right? Board of Directors, uh, as is Matt Keating, who is there, and uh, Julie Fahey, who I uh, admire. I think she's just uh, she's an excellent legislator in terms of being really communicative. Maybe I'll end with this. I really am frustrated by people who get into office. And then get so comfortable that they don't actually have to do much to get reelected. And because of this really nice person, passive aggressive Eugene culture that we have, and I love Eugene, I'm just I'm just naming a problem I see mm-hmm. is that people don't want to challenge, you know, the people who are in power. Or it's not worth it to do it. I mean, you know, let's say you let's say you run a run a small business. That's like a, that's seventy hours a week or whatever. It's an absurd amount of commitment. You can't you can't run a campaign against a state rep. State reps. My state rep's been there since two thousand six. I don't care if she hears this. I don't care if any Democrat hears this because this is on my heart. She is a nasty person to people. She in private meetings is very very cruel and harsh. And she was really really rude to me when I was just a bellhop. I still am. Uh, at Hilton Eugene when it was Hilton and you know she rolled up um, being very entitled and uh, was very upset that her parking spot wasn't blocked off uh, for her and she was I believe she was late so she was upset that she was going to be late for a speaking engagement frankly cool representative Nathanson you're a state rep congratulations you've been my state rep you've written a lot of good laws but that doesn't mean you get to treat people like crap What do you think? I don't think anybody. I'm not gets trying to, to throw you into people. my beef with someone. I don't think anybody. Hey, I got your back. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. As long as yeah. as long as it doesn't, you know, I because uh, we look for moral I, leadership I, as I, well I, I as policy. Um, we have a moral leadership crisis in this country. Uh, okay. Can I say something that's a little more conservative? Please. One of the amazing functions that, uh, like, let's say, evangelical Christian communities, but all sorts of religious communities in this country have held, is spiritual guidance for people. You know? So, So whether it's a person who, you know, their family is supporting them through, you know, Attending church services, attending youth group, you know, singing together, mm. being with the the church for campouts, all this cool stuff I did when I was in high school. Um, the world is a place where it it's it's a little bit hard to find spiritual leaders, I think. And being spiritual is something that I think is a worthwhile thing, even if you are an atheist or an agnostic. Um, 
maybe that's just my way of saying what what reflected what inward reflection about who you are is though i i think of that as being spiritual so when i think of i don't know like i'm i'm a christian and i love i love being in communion with uh with other people who share my faith um you know, when, when I'm thinking of, oh, for example, this is an extraordinary example, two days ago, or was it yesterday we had the, we had the climate, uh, it was yesterday, wasn't it? Well, there's been a, there's been a full, a full right. weekend of events. Okay, true, true, true. Um, but the big sort of kickoff was at the Wayne Morris Free Speech Plaza and all these Sunrise Movement activists advocating for a Green New Deal, mm-hmm. which by the way is a fucking great idea. I should do a whole episode about the Green New Deal. Because, um, because... Oh, I wish everybody knew what the New Deal was and how important it was getting everybody jobs. We should do that with clean energy jobs. My point is, driving away from that, two different license plates I saw mm. in the same drive that said, you know, digit, 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 GND. Two of them. See, the first one is when I thought, you know what, God, that's beautiful. We should fight harder for that. The second one is when I thought, I think there's probably a reason why I was supposed to see that, or I think it's good that I saw that. And what can I do more to help besides driving leafy green over there? My fully electric vehicle. I love you. Leafy green. Mm, Are I, you spiritual? You know, I, um, I am. And, and, and one thing that spirituality has led me to believe is that the most, uh, the most beautiful, the most, the most gracious gift that any person can offer to the world is their honesty, uh, right. their story. I like that. And extras to see String Cheese Incident at really the world-famous Cuthbert Amphitheater. I hope I get this out soon because there's a chance this doesn't go out for a week, two weeks, uh, maybe well, even three then, weeks. Then you're going to have to develop time travel. <laughs> Well, I mean, it's fucking string cheese incident. They're here like every other weekend. It feels like, and I never, and I would never get tired of seeing them. They are, they are the hardest working band in show business. Love it. This was less stupid with Thomas Huda, Robert. Thank you so much for joining me on what I might release as the first episode, but what chronologically is the first episode for sure. And we're so glad to have everybody with you. Play us with out with us. some little Nas X. Well, I'm gonna take my horse to the hotel road. I'm gonna. I don't know the chords. I got the horses in the back. Yes. Oh, I feel on. like I was gonna have a sign up. Oh, yeah. Please, uh, if you're still listening, huda2020.org, check it out. And it would be really helpful to have a donation. It really would. Uh, I learned when I was interning with Planned Parenthood Advocates of Oregon when you have a donation ask, don't be shy and apologetic about it. So when you're on the phone, phone banking, don't say, would you like to make a contribution of $50 today? Don't have that upward inflection. If anything, go downward with your inflection and say, <laughs> and say, and say Mr. Patterson, can we, can we count on you to make a $40 contribution today? <laughs> that reminds me of a Sarah Silverman routine. I love her. It's like uh, so fucking it's, funny. It's not appropriate uh, for me to say, but it involves... It involves it's always uh, appropriate. This is the podcast well, uh, for This okay. is the very end. It involves, this is after the sign-off. Nobody it, is still paying attention. It involves a vulgar word being said with uh, with a very blank expression. And I'm not going to take it. I'm, I'm not going to... Trump. <laughs> All right. Trump. Have a good night, everybody. Pokemorns. Hey, Panini. 
Don't you be a meanie.